Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Clutch Talk podcast slash YouTube slash We Do It All. As always, I'm your host, John. Very happy to be here. My boy, Jay Hizzle, here in the six. How you doing, my dog? Doing great, bro. Got a fresh mic. I'm feeling myself, man. But <laughs> hey, we got a, We got another great guest, another great guest, a 2010 Connecticut Gatorade Player of the Year, um, cemented player in NCAA history, Yale history. Brandon Sherrod, welcome to Clutch Talk, my guy. How you doing, man? Appreciate y'all having me, man. I'm good. Uh, let's get right to it. Man, sure. exactly, man. Exactly like how like how Je- uh, Justin said, man. We got a accomplished guest, man, uh, on the show today, Brandon. And in uh, Brandon, see, I like I like the way Brandon. He said, "Let's get straight to it." So I love it, it, man. Let's get let's get <laughs> let's straight, get straight to, to it. it. <laughs> and no, listen, no delays, man. So for all the family out there, hope you guys enjoyed. But, uh, Brandon, you know, where we always start, man, is the beginning, where it all started. We know you were born in Bridgeport, uh, Connecticut, man. But what I want to know is who put that ball in your hands and at what age? Yeah, so I guess unlike a lot of dudes who have been in the position that I'm in or who are in the position that I'm in, I started playing when I was 14. So um, I hadn't played basketball. I played some baseball. I was actually a pretty good baseball player. Uh, played soccer for a bit. And then when I got to high school my freshman year, um, some of the guys on my team, some of the freshmen asked me to, to try out cause I was tall. I was about like six, two, but, um, I guess the only issue was is that I was like 315 pounds. So I was really overweight, um, had no understanding of the game, how to, how to play, how to shoot, how to score. I didn't, I didn't know anything. So, um, I guess it really just happened by, by chance and having some friends that wanted me to kind of try out the game and then it ended up turning into something that I've been doing for the last, you know, few years and ended up being a job. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, I'll say that's a really unique story, man. Of everyone that we've had, they've always like, man, yeah, we were playing on a little tykes hoop or this or that, but man, for you to start at a, that, that late of an age and for you to be a, you know, professional basketball player, man, that's big props and big shout out to you, man. But so, you know, uh, uh, you know, we move forward and you get to high school, uh, you end up going to Stratford high school in Connecticut. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how your high school basketball experience was, um, we know, you know, like I just said, you ended up being a 2007 Gatorade player of the year. Yeah. Talk to us about how that was and how that came about. Yeah, man. So when I got the Stratford High, um, we had had a little bit of success, but they had never won a state championship. Um, I think they won a couple of SWC championships. And my coach was um, like a really tough coach. I remember like coming in freshman year and I only played freshman in JV. I think I had like the last varsity jersey um, my freshman year. And he was just like yelling at dudes and trying to get guys to go harder. And I'm sitting here intimidated as a freshman, like, am I ever going to make it onto the court? Uh, is this for me? Uh, is this coach for me? Is a situation for me? Um, and so like after that first year, I was like 315 pounds and I lost 100 pounds uh, going into my sophomore year and then ended up starting varsity. Um, and then that year we like started off kind of rough and then we went on like a 16 game win streak to end the season and won a state championship my sophomore year. And that was the first time we've ever, we had ever done that in the school's history. The people were really, really feeling us. Um, and then after that, it was like my team. So it was like me and another guy, Russell Payton, at the time. And we were uh, two of the uh, the stars of the team. And my junior year, we went undefeated in the regular season and then ran into Jordan Williams, who was like really big at Torrington back in the day, lost them in, in the state quarterfinals. And then again, my senior year came back again and we went undefeated and, and won everything. So uh, I think it was just like a testament to perseverance. Uh, again, like chance. I, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. So I think God had a big role 
uh, and all, all the things that we got to accomplish and uh, we wouldn't, have, wouldn't have been able to do it without him. Um, but like also like a lot of hard work and dedication. Like we didn't have any indoor courts to play on. Uh, we didn't have any trainers to work with. It was really just like the guys on my team saying, hey, like, let's get together during the summertime. Let's get together, you know, um, whenever we can after school. Let's make sure we're training and running and staying in shape. So once the season comes, you know, we know exactly what time it is and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, I think that helped me individually as a player shine because we're winning and then also collectively, you know, getting to the championships. Man, I, Brandon, I got I got to rewind, rewind, rewind. So you said you <laughs> lost 115 pounds. That that's a cra- that's like unbelievable. I think that um, I just have to ask you more about that, especially at a young age. You know, you say you started playing basketball. You came into the into your high school um, just at 14. Right. What was right. that process like of of losing all that weight, like dieting? What went in, what effort? And you said and even the part you mentioned, you had no trainers. Your team had no trainers um, and all of that. Those resources avail- available to you. What went into that? What was that process like, man? Yeah, I think like, you know, when I started playing, I really was just trying to get better um, or just trying to knock out like some of these like really simple tasks, like like making a layup consistently or like catching the ball or like being able to run up and down the court without running out of breath or, um, you know, and then eventually like being able to, to, you know, win games. I never really had this focus on like being like the best player or trying to be like a star. It was really trying to stack up the little wins. Um, and I think that kind of work ethic and approach really helped me. Um, I mean, losing the weight was like incredible. I was borderline, I had big borderline asthmatic, uh, and then lost all that weight, all those symptoms went away. So like for my overall physical health, it was incredible. And then athletically too, once I shut off that weight, I was able to like jump and move and I had stamina. Um, so like the, all, all that contributed to it. Um, I think what's so important, and I think some of the, I'm sure some of the guys who have come on the show have talked about just how important having good teammates are. And there were so many moments where I thought I was going to quit or this, again, the game wasn't for me or people were saying like, this guy actually sucks. And I, I really tried to take that with a grain of salt, but also had teammates in my ear who were really encouraging and, uh, and helped me kind of get through those difficult times. Um, I think on top of that too, like as a kid, when you're, overweight or obese and I have like a really a real soft spot for kids that I see I'm, I'm in the basketball court and just in general um it's really difficult to navigate like your weight because you don't have a lot of friends you get bullied um you might not have a lot of self-confidence and so I was pretty like timid my, my idea was just like let me keep my head down and work and hopefully get to you know kind of have a piece of what all these other dudes who are on my team have and some of the varsity guys had so um I think that that approach and not having a trainer, you just relied on those who came before you and what your coaches were saying. So I was like a really good listener um, on top of that. So my game kind of translated into kind of like what my coaches molded me into as opposed to me taking autonomy kind of over my game, uh, which happened later on in my career once I started to like, you know, be professional and, and uh, play at the Division One level. So it was all kind of like a mix of, of discovery and trial and error and, and uh, really trying to figure it out. Man, man, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, you talk about work and you talk about, you know, putting your putting your head down and continue can continue to work. And that's exactly what you did, man, because by your senior year, you averaged 16 points per game, 
14 rebounds, which is berserk, six, six blocks per game, which is also crazy. A two-time state champion, like how we mentioned at the top of the pot, a 2010 Gatorade Player of the Year. And but what, what I want to ask you real quick, Brandon, is like, how does that even come about, right? Because like 99% of the world doesn't even know how you like, does somebody call you? Like, do you got to enter your name somewhere? How did that even happen? Yeah. yeah, so I guess with the Gatorade State Player of the Year, it's, a, it's like a, a co- combination of on-the-court skill, and then uh, like extracurricular skill, how you serve your community. And I was involved with a lot of different groups while I was on um, or on campus. And I was at, well, I was in high school and I was also part of like the choir. Um, I was the lead of my school play for three years. So I was like very much involved in the arts, starting an acapella group um, at Stratford High. So my coach, I think, entered my name based on all those things that I was doing and thought I'd be a good candidate. And I still remember when he called me, I was at a Starbucks uh, right next to uh, the school and my coach was like hey how you doing I'm like hey what's up coach like is something wrong he's like no I just want to let you know like you're the Gatorade player of the year and I was like that's dope you know like I was, I never, <laughs> yeah. but I wasn't I wasn't again I wasn't expecting that at all you know so again I think um there's 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 things there's goals that you work towards but one thing that I do know for sure and something I really believe in is that the work shows up for itself and if you put in that time and effort you may get rewarded for it and you, you may not with like a personal accolade. But um, when you do, like it's just a result of that, that humility and, and hard work and patience. So, yeah, it was it was a it was a crazy situation to get that award. And uh, also first time that a basketball player got in that my school's history. So just really exciting. Man, absolutely. That's 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 honestly super, super cool to hear. And don't we definitely are going to get into the mm. acapella and you're singing and all that later. <laughs> yeah. on, man. But, you know, so after after that extremely successful uh, high school career, um, doing all kind of accomplishments, you decide to go to Yale. Right. So talk to us a little bit about how your, how your recruitment process was, you know, what made you choose that school over any others? And uh, just talk to us about how that was. Yeah, I actually didn't want to go to Yale. Like, a lot, I don't think a lot of people know that. Like, I, I talk about how important that experience has been for my life and what an amazing opportunity it was. And um, it was awesome. But before that, I had no desire to go there. Bro. I was like, um, I want to go to Georgetown really bad. And my junior year, during the time, you only had, like, the live period um, in July. And we had these camps like Hoop Mountain and uh, – I think there was like uh, there's another like hoop hall event and I got hurt. So I couldn't even play in front of all these teams. I've been prepping all summer. I was in good shape. And in my head, I was like Georgetown or bust, Georgetown or bust. And um, Yale had actually come to visit me at Stratford High and said that they wanted to recruit me. But they thought I should go to a prep school for a year to kind of prepare myself for like the academic rigor and also the, uh, the like the cultural differences that you would find at a place like Yale. You know, you're finding folks from all over the world folks who are making folks whose families come from a lot of money. Um, I'm a black kid from Bridgeport. There are a lot of people who look like me or sound like me or dress like me in a space like that. Um, and so I ended up going to prep school choke for a year. And before I, I went to the prep school, I was like, do I have to commit to you guys before I go? They're like, no, you don't, but we would obviously love to have you, you know, if you try to make that decision and um, went through the recruiting process, got a bunch of, bunch of offers from schools um, had this one coach, Adam Finkelstein, who was, uh, you know, kind of the head of the New England recruiting report that ended up being ESPN for scouting services. And I was with two, four, seven sports. So he was like really big on that. We're having workouts in three people and coaches were coming, getting offers. So day after my birthday, I ended up committing because that coach, Adam Finkelstein was like, look, man, I don't know how many times you have to go to these unofficial visits or talking to coach Jones or talking to Yale, 
but this is one of those opportunities that you may not ever get again in your life and it may be life-changing i wanted to be mayor of my city he was like you want to go with the politics yale's the spot for that you want to do music yale's the spot for that you want to be able to do all the the extracurriculars and have your your name kind of marked and etched into the the, the legacy of, of what yale is all about then you should be there and so after having that conversation with him in, in the dining room i was like all right bet so let's go um thinking only about basketball too, not really thinking enough about what it actually meant to be in a university like that. So that's kind of how it all came about. My coaches were really cool. Coach Jones is, was amazing. Coach Kingsley, my guy, he's the one who kind of recruited me. He's a Connecticut guy who's an assistant at Yale. Um, that's, that's why I made the decision at the end of the day, just for all the things that it could provide me. Absolutely, man. And honestly, it, it just, it just shows a ridiculous amount of like, um, a ridiculous amount of, of understanding and maturity at such a young age to be able mm-hmm. to not only just think about just basketball, but also what what do you want to do after basketball when the ball stops dribbling and all of that? Uh, but Jay, Jay, go ahead. What's up, my brother? Yeah, no, I was going to ask you, Brandon. So, I mean, like you said, being from from where you are in Connecticut, going to to Yale, man, what, what was that an Ivy League school? You know, you know, I don't know to that point in your life if you knew but beyond that conversation what it meant to go to ivy league because a lot of people who aren't exposed to that may not have that opportunity but i mean me i hear yale like man that's yale right you hear the princeton ivy league schools but what was that like you set foot on campus day one um in that totally new environment for you an ivy league school what was that like yeah i mean to be honest i don't think i appreciated how crazy of an opportunity it was until like later on in my time there. When I first arrived, I was just really struck by like the tradition and the legacy and the history and how important that was for the university and how important they felt it was to kind of share that with us as freshmen. So we had like a freshman uh, dinner when we first got there kind of as a welcome. And, you know, they were serving us really nice food and like these nice cutlery in China, had people serving us. Um, they're telling us a notable alumni who have gone to the university. I'm sitting there looking at like the actual building that we're in and how, how hearing the history of how old it was and, and who donated money to like uh, make it, make it happen and build it. Um, and then also just trying to understand that there were people from New Haven that I knew because Yale's right there. Yale's in New Haven. There are people in New Haven that I knew who I never set foot on Yale's campus. And I ended up being like the bridge for those people to be able to like experience it just as fully as I was able to. And for me, that was like really important. So I, I don't think a lot of people um, at the university really thought about engaging with the community actively. Um, and fr- since I was from there, it made it, it made it even more special. But um, yeah, I, I probably, I would probably say that in the beginning, just like legacy, the legacy um, and all that, 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 that provides you. And also the, like the networking and the type of folks that come in, into contact with you um and then the academics as well like we had professors who would literally assign you their books like you know it was not it wasn't like yeah. okay go yeah go home and do the reading right wow. it's like yeah go home and do the reading and make sure you do it because that's like that's my book that you're reading so uh, i thought that was really cool too just a, just the crazy experience in, in general man that's a hard one because that you, you you can't even like bs that you know what i'm saying no. like, just, <laughs> they wrote it <laughs> they wrote it Fact. they wrote it wow <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough one that's i'm different. not gonna lie oh man but but, but you know you got you you know you did you got through it and you got that degree so man that's more hats off to you 
But you know, so your freshman year, right? You you uh, you're the only freshman to appear in all 29 games. Uh, you were the you're the winner of the John Cobb Award, which is the Yale Rookie of the Year. But you know, walk us through your freshman year, like when you stepped on campus, like not only being star like not starstruck, but like seeing so many different things that you've never seen in your life, but also like that adjustment to now you're playing the college level to everywhere. Right. Everyone's good. There's no scrubs on the team. No, for sure. Yeah, I, I came in really high on myself and I think really competitive. And what was frustrating was that I thought I was just going to start right away. I'm coming in. I'm like, I'm the Gator player of the year. You know, I just and it's still being still trying to be humble, but also being like, you know, I've worked hard to get here and I feel like I deserve a chance to to showcase my ability and skill. And during the recruiting process, my coaches were really big on, you know, saying I would have a chance to kind of play right away. Um, so I really took that to heart. And um, I showed I, I, I was in every every game. I played every game of the year, but it was really frustrating not getting as many minutes as I thought I deserved throughout that time of the year. And so um, once I realized kind of how things work with getting those minutes, maintaining those minutes um, and then the amount of competition that goes on between players on a weekly basis in practice, um, it just changed my mindset. Then there's, there's the speed of the game. The college game is way faster than it is in, in high school. Um, it's managing your classwork and the basketball stuff, like trying to get classes done before you go to lift or making sure you get enough sleep to get up for a test. So that was tough with time management. Um, and then also just like trying to find my niche on the court, like and was I going to play power for? Was I going to play center? Um, was I rebounding the ball enough? Was I, was I paying attention to the coaches' calls on defense or on offense? And uh, was I showing up to things, you know, early enough to showcase that I was deserving of a position on the court? So I never really got satisfied with what I was given at that time. So I felt I always deserved more. Um, but again, with hard work, again, you, you might work hard for something, but you may not get exactly what you what you wish for. So I had to also exert some patience and um, humble myself because everybody there was good. We had a really good freshman class as well who was able to contribute right away. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And out of all that, out of all that great freshman class, man, like, you know, you, you, you guys, you know, you guys go, you guys have a great year. And then, you know, at the beginning of your sophomore year, you're met with a, an injury that kept you out, you know, yeah. early in your sophomore season. But talk to us about that. You know, I know um, just I'm, I didn't, I didn't personally play college basketball. Justin did. So, you know, when you, mm. when you have an injury, you know, that's your everything. That's all you're doing in, right now in life. So how did you deal with that mentally and how did you get through that? Yeah, it was a tough injury. I had like a uh, like a hematoma in my abdomen, which is like a really painful injury. So like I couldn't even laugh. <laughs> I was like, Damn. I can't tell I laughed. I was breathing. Um, my teammates were making fun of me, trying to make me laugh on purpose. <laughs> Just mm. <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> um, Yeah, that was hard, man, because I had never had a major injury before that. And so I uh, also kind of pride of myself on taking care of my body. And then when you, again, you get humbled with things like an injury, it just, it's a part of the game. You kind of have to chalk it up to the game. Um, but it did, it did allow me to focus on some other things, both artistically and academically. So I was grateful for that. And then my teammates kind of sh uh, showed me a lot of, a lot of love uh, during that period of time. So um, as difficult as it was, I had a really good support system and I knew I was going to be back. It wasn't like season ending or, or, uh, you know, career altering. But um, it was just another wake-up call, another understanding that the game can be taken away from you at any time. So I appreciate it while you got it, and health is wealth. So that was it. Thanks. Nice.
Man, absolutely, absolutely. So and then, you know, so then the 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 2014-2015 season, you know, we talked about it earlier. We said we were going to talk about it. That's when you uh you, you missed that season because you joined. I don't want to I don't want to mispronounce it. It's called the Yale. What, what can you say the name, please, Brandon? Yeah, the Whiffenproofs. Whiffenproofs. Yes, there we go. I didn't want to disrespect you like that, but the world's oldest and best known college acapella group man like that honestly brandon is so cool for the fact that like you were you know you're able to put down basketball something that you love for another passion that you have so talk to us about like what went into that decision uh was it hard on you and and about all that like what was going through your mind at the time for sure yeah during the so music has always been my first love so even when i wasn't playing basketball before I, I i started playing at 14 like i was in church playing drums playing piano singing so that was always like a big part of my life and then when i got to to college i wasn't really able to do much extracurricular um you know stuff because we had basketball like so that's a very demanding schedule so i found ways to kind of involve myself in the community during like the off season or preseason. i was playing drums for a couple of a uh, couple of little projects that my friends had sang on a couple of projects too and I had one friend who was a senior my sophomore year. He had just come back from singing in the Whiffin' Poofs. And we were on his rooftop. He had just graduated. And he was like, you know what? Like, you could actually be a part of the group if you audition. Like, I think you're good enough to, to be a part of the acapella group. It's like an incredible experience. And so he's describing, like, you know, there's this group. You take a year off. You travel around the world. You do a world tour. It's all paid for. Um, you're basically like a professional musician for a year. Um, and it's an incredible, life-changing experience. And when the time came up to audition, I remember seeing the email and I was like, should I even try this out? Because if I get in, then I'm probably going to take the year off. And we were about to, we're probably going to win the league the next year because all the guys who came in my freshman year are about to be seniors. Um, and then on top of that, like, I didn't really know, you know, what I, if, if like taking a year off would be the best decision for me as like an athlete, because you have to think about potentially playing professionally. Um, you have to think about what it means to take a year off academically and then getting back into that, you know, once you're done. So I was trying to, weigh all those options and then i was like you know what i'll just try out i only told my best friend hob i was like bro i'm gonna try out for this group if i get in bro i'll let you know so i go in it's like a 15 minute audition um you sing a solo you do some like pitch matching so they play it on the, on the piano you sing it back to them you do like a quartet thing to kind of blend your voice um then you do like a range test see how high or low you can sing so i did that didn't prepare for it beforehand um was like i'm just gonna go up go in you know kind of see what happens I'm, i think i have a good ear so i was like you know i'll, I'll figure it out um that was on like a thursday on sunday i get the call and they're like hey just want to let you know like you're a part of the group so i'm like oh wow that's dope like that's that's again incredible like i react like wow like awesome call my boy how i'm like bro i got in he's like all right bet, dog. Like, you know what does that mean i was like well i'm gonna have to you know figure out what i'm gonna do for next year because i can either decline and say, I don't want to join, or, you know, I'm in the group. So, and I'm also thinking in my head, like, what is my coach going to think if, you know, if he, <laughs> if he finds out and I, I don't have a t- chance to explain it to him. So I wake up the next day and my coach gives me a call. He's like, I need you to see, I need to see you in my office. And I'm like, all right, bet. Like, that's all, that's all, that's all he said. I get the, uh, the Yale daily newspaper. We had like a daily publication. And on like the front page, it says like Yale basketball player gets into the Wolfproofs. <laughs> I'm like, so I'm like, I'm like, bro, I had no, I didn't have an idea that it was that big of a deal. And mm-hmm. then, you know, my coach, he finds out like that. So I get in the office, he's like, hey, you know, what's really good? Like what, you know, I heard you're into this group. So what's going on? I was like, coach, I think I'm about to take a year off of school. 
And he's like, um, you know, he sits back in his chair. It takes a long pause. He's like, can you defer it for a year? And I was like, no, like I can't. Like, it's like, I either take this opportunity now or I just come back and, we, and I play. He's like, you know, we would love to have you next year because we're probably going to win the league. I'm like, I, I understand that. But then I went back to his recruiting pitch. When he got me to come to Yale. And he said, Yale affords you with certain opportunities that are once in a lifetime. And you can't. So, so this opportunity for you to come with us is once in a lifetime. We'd love to have you. And once I said that, he was like, you know what? God bless you. Um, and it wasn't me quitting the team either. I told him I would come back. I had a plan in my head of how I could come to train and prepare uh, before coming back. But um, yeah, it was probably like the weirdest. He, he says, says this to this day. It was like the strangest conversation he's ever had with one of his players. It's like a dude coming in and say, hey, I'm, I'm leaving the team for a year to sing in an acapella group. So that's kind of how it all came about. Um, and then it ended up being like this, this insane experience of just like just felt, feeling super blessed, like super blessed for, for an entire year. Um, but weird at the same time. Yeah, that that's a true. I know John and I both know that's definitely the craziest story of like coming back and, and taking time off and then coming back to the game. But, you know, let's right now, I want to fast forward to your senior season because number one, it's, it's memorable, memorable to me specifically for one reason. Um, okay. But, but also because it was a memorable season for yourself, you know, in this season, you made first team all Ivy league, a two-time player of the week, obviously the best season of your career collegiately uh, with 15 points per game on 64%. But uh, I got to, before I talk, we talk about that season, um, March 17th, 2016. Why, why is this day important to me? Because I know for a fact I had, well, I don't know if I had Yale winning this game, but you go up against the Baylor bears, right? Um, big day for you, 12 seed coming in against the Baylor Bears. I'm not gonna lie, I had the I had Baylor winning that game. And what do you guys do? You you beat them 70, 79, 75, and you had the unique experience of playing in the NCAA tournament. You know, you had 10 points in this game. You guys also went on to win this game. Um, but but talk about that whole senior season experience and then all the way up to the NCAA tournament, like a historic run for for your you know yourself and, and Yale, man. Yeah, man. Um, so when I was in the Wiffenpoofs, the team that I would have been playing on, they were in a playoff with Harvard because they ended up tying. And before the Ivy League, like Ivy Madness, there was no conference like tournament. So you would have to win the regular season and the Ivy League play to go. And so the Ivy League was always like the first team to send somebody to March Madness. So I'm in Florida watching the game, like the playoff or the play. Yeah, the playoff game. And it comes down to the last possession. My boy Hob goes up, shoots, shoots a bank shot, rims out. Yale loses. They don't go to the tournament. And so I'm like, you know, I'm kind of beating myself up, being like, yo, if I was there, could I have helped? You know, would we have we have finished it out. Um, and when I came back, we had a really, really uh, long talk with all the seniors, all the guys that I guess would have been juniors if I had graduated that original year. And we were like, yeah, we got to win. Like, it wasn't just for, you know, for us, but also for our coach who hadn't had an Ivy League championship yet in his long tenured career. It was for the school who hadn't won anything. I think it was just like 1960. I think it was like uh, 1964, 1967. So like it was, it was a big, it was a big deal. Like right before Ivy League play, I'm playing terribly. Like I, I don't have anything going. I would play a D3 uh, game and I think I missed like eight shots that were all bunnies. 
And so I shot like four for 12. And then somehow after that, I went on this crazy tear where I was just in a really good rhythm, um, ended up getting to the point where I made a bunch of shots in a row and my team, we were at the top of the Ivy League. So, so we get through the Ivy League, uh, Ivy League with a certain level of, of determination and focus um, that was like kind of unseen for that, for that squad and for my coaches. And then we got to the tournament. We got Baylor. We actually thought that was the best draw because we were one and two in the nation in rebounding that year. So we were like, if we could just rebound with these guys, I think we'll be okay. And this dude, Makai Mason on my team had like a crazy game. He had like 30, mm-hmm. but uh, everyone, everyone else contributed and like figured it out. Plus we were in Providence, which was kind of like a home game. So everything just kind of worked out, man. I, again, I'm a firm believer in everything happened for a reason. And uh, yeah, like that season was kind of written in stone before it even started. We just had to kind of like fall in place and do what we need to do. Absolutely, man. And you know, and while 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 Justin brings up, you know that 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 Baylor game, I do I do think to uh, to one NBA player that was on that team, you know, to, uh, Torian Prince. Uh, so I yeah. just wanted, you know, I just kind of wanted to ask, and you know, <laughs> how, how does it feel to you know, play play against somebody like that? And and yeah. you know, I know he had twenty eight that game. Yeah, he was cold. Nah, Torian Prince is cold. And what's funny is like, you know, we're in the game and, you know, they got Torian Prince, they got Rico Gathers who ended up mm-hmm. getting drafted by the Dallas Cowboys, who was just like an ox. Uh, they had a lot, like they had some really good players. And towards the end, Torian Prince like took over the game. Like it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't any question about what his skill level was or what, his, what he was going to be able to do at the next level. Um, but we, we had weathered the storm at that point. So we just knew we needed to make a couple of plays and everybody contributed. Um, but he was, he was a, he was a killer. And also his interview after the game, <laughs> like that, that interview is to the point, bro. Like I swear every, like, you know, like you can, it's like, you can never get away from the game, you know, mm-hmm. because every year they're like, Oh, oh we gotta, we gotta replay this iconic Tory and Prince interview. You're right. It's like the ball goes up on the rim <laughs> with two hands and every year it's like, Oh, that was my team. So it was like, mm-hmm. and that gets sent around to the guys in my group. So again, kind of leaving uh, a legacy for the for the other teams that followed and Yale's had a lot of success but that was kind of the catalyst for um you know everything that we we've been seeing now with just the last few years of them winning championship after championship um and we're still low-key the best team in that school's history because we're the only one with the Ivy League tournament or with the NCAA tournament win so that's another thing we like to talk about with some of the younger guys yeah that was that was amazing um that i was i was actually gonna bring that up you mentioned tory and prince in that interview because i always think of it and then i always think back to that game because he said you rebound you go up you grab the ball with two hands <laughs> i don't even whatever prompted the dude to ask that question i don't know that was so yeah. fun but then it, and then you mentioned you your game plan about the rebounding it makes sense because you pounded those guys you pounded baylor on the glass like yeah. It was clear that that was your um, that your mentality going to that games, but now we got the background story. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Man, okay, okay. So, so you, you know, um, while while we're talking about your iconic se- senior season, you also said uh, not only a Yale record, not only an Ivy League record, but an NCAA men's basketball. I don't care what kind of league you in, it don't matter. <laughs> Brandon got the record, and he holding it for the most consecutive field goals. Uh, it, just in NCAA period, which is insane, Brandon. <laughs> like uh, like thirty in a row. Um, I, I I believe you went you went eight and eight at Brown, then nine and nine at at Princeton. Uh, so like, talk to me about you know how are you feeling coming into these games? You're like, man, I can't miss right now. <laughs> I was really just vibing. Um, I didn't know, yeah, I didn't know that I, I had made that many shots in a row. I think until maybe like the third or fourth game, 
And a lot of my shots were around the rim, but again, like it's not easy to do. Like people miss bunnies all the time, right? Mm. And again, right before that streak, I was missing bunnies too. So um, when I had that first game against Brown, I was, my coach was like, you know, at the at the post game, he's like, yeah, shout out the brain went nine for nine today. I'm like, oh, word, that's dope. Okay, cool. And then after the next game, it's like, okay, Brandon went like eight for eight or six for six or whatever. And I'm, oh, that's 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 solid. Then we go to the press box after the game we won another one and they're like does anyone know if that's a record and i think i had had like 24 um at like before that last game against columbia where i set the record and it was just cool man i I, again i can't really i can't really even tell you like what the feeling was i was just coming in like we got to get a win and i knew what my role even everyone had really uh really clearly defined roles and i just was really playing my part and uh, you know the success that we wanted to have so um yeah but it, it is wild think about because that number even is like perfectly even number it wasn't like 29 it wasn't 28 27 was a record but it was like 30 like that's that was dope so i was i was glad that was able to happen and um it was cool to also set the record at home in front of the fans and we had i think after we beat columbia i think we were like number one in the league at that point of the season too so it was like it was a really really cool win-win yeah um and i know it's kind of backtracking but i want to ask you you mentioned columbia and these games a lot of people, you, a lot of people know the Ivy League for an academic school, like great schools, the elite, top of the country, top of the world, for that matter. Talk to us, and and for those who don't know about the level of competition, because you see every yeah. single year the, a team from the Ivy League's taking be, either beating like you guys did, or they're taking these top tier ACC best of the year teams to the to the brink, like to down to the wire. So talk about the level of play and, and what you saw year to year in the Ivy League? Yeah, people sleep on the Ivy League a lot because they think that if you're smart, you can't hoop. And I, mm-hmm. I, I find it so funny because I think some of, like, the smartest dudes I know are hoopers, you know, and, like, not even guys who are in the Ivy League, but just in general. So there's there's that part. Then there's, like, the support from the school um, and whether they really support athletics. And for a little while when I was at Yale, like, my first couple of years, our president, he didn't even go to like the Harvard Yale football game, which is like an iconic sort of like historic rivalry game. Um, but like as time went, went along, um, you started to see the success of Harvard and they had won a couple of games in the tournament. And then they started getting like these recruits that were like top 100 recruits, like um, guys who had offers from like Stanford and Georgetown and Duke and then ended up going to like Harvard. And obviously it's a win-win situation for them, but the, but the level of play was also a lot higher than people give it credit, credit for. Um, and I think too, because you have guys that dedicate enough time to go to school for four years and they're usually in it for four years, you build like a certain rapport. Um, you have a certain level of maturity and understanding of the game that allows you to beat teams that maybe have a lot of like one and done guys there's also also another level of discipline too. Like once you really know what's going on, the game slows down for you. You start to make decisions based on what you've experienced. So like if you have juniors and seniors on your team, you're probably going to be better uh, prepared than you know freshmen and sophomores that you would see on other squads. Um, I think another tough thing about the Ivy League is that they don't offer full scholarships. So like that was also a tough decision for me because I had a bunch of like full ride offers, but I decided to go and I, really, I didn't pay very much. It was a lot of like need based financial aid that I got. But, um, you know, I think that also deters people from making that decision to go there because there are a lot of I think if if you got if you can get a full scholarship from like a Harvard, Yale, Princeton, you're going right. Like, I don't think people would pass that up, but that's another decision um, that people 
that, that forces people to kind of like choose between getting a full ride and or paying a little bit. Um, and yeah, man, I just, it, I think it's just, uh, I think it's just a natural underappreciation for what kind of effort and time goes into working towards a division one scholarship. Like it is, these are all division one schools, which means at some level, like all of these guys have excelled, um, at their own high school or like in their own way. So to, to think that because you're going to an Ivy league, you're going to be, you know, less competent or have less ability than someone else is like ludicrous to me. So, so yeah, so I think that's, that's kind of like the, um, the vibe and the misconception that I think people have, um, but the league's been really good. And I think teams get surprised by how good the players are obviously. And that's why you see all these upsets. Um, I think now it's probably like, maybe like a top it's definitely a top 10 league in the ncaa so um i think that's going to continue as time goes along and you're looking at the guys like even at yale I've, I've been up to campus seeing some of like the younger guys now and like those dudes are like way more prepared way more athletic than like we were coming in we thought we were like the baddest to ever come in we thought we were like the fat coming in you know what i'm saying but like these dudes now at a totally different level so i think the, the level of play is going to continue as 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 uh, guys get more exposed to opportunities and people get better prepared for like what the future holds along with getting you know a division one opportunity absolutely man and and i really like i really love like how you touched on the fact that you know it's division one and and uh, and and in every episode i i you know i mentioned that fact that like less than two percent of every high school athlete plays division one so it don't matter where you at like you playing division one uh, then people, people that people that say that are usually just like the little kids, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Who don't really know much about who to say, I would even say too, like dudes at division two and division three schools, like they're really talented too. Like, cats mm-hmm. sleep on, you know, you, you've seen like Duncan Robinson. I'm trying to m- mention like even the other shooter from uh, Miami right now, like these guys played at division three mm-hmm. or division, division two colleges and they're in the NBA. Like there are dudes overseas. I know have, like long careers and they were D2 or D3 um so it's it's much less about like like obviously there might be a, a drop off in like maybe athleticism or just size at some of these levels but um as far as like skill like if you if you're a good player you're a good player and that's going to show up absolutely man absolutely so you know brandon b- before we get off you know your, your time at yale i do got to ask you know a question that really kind of like popped up as as you were talking about um we were talking about your record and what's crazy to me is that you mentioned that, you know, in high school, you were trying to get down the basic things like knock, knocking a layup down consistently, like consistently having that left hand, right hand, jump hook, whatever it is. I think it's crazy to see the work that you put in from going to there to now holding the NCAA record for right. for the most made, made field goals. And like how you mentioned, there were little bunnies inside, but man, like it's hard to even get open at, at a division one level. But what I want to know to you is like, was there like a summer of separation or was there like one one thing that you did that really separated you and you had that big uh big 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 leap i'm I'm also i know you are you talk a little bit about being, being a believer i'm a I'm a big believer too so i think that that time where you know that acapella man i think god bless your last year to be honest in my opinion but uh but i mean like what what was was there something that you were doing to have that great season and do that yeah i think um i came back with a great deal of confidence and I don't think I had that. I was really discouraged. I think my freshman, sophomore, and even junior year. I remember my my sophomore year going into my junior year. I had this like crazy summer, bro, where I was like I was lifting, crazy diet, I, like a food log. I like I really lean, and I was ready to go. Like in my head, I was like, this is the time where I showcase I'm the best player in the league and the best player on my team. 
Um, and obviously through, you know, injuries and things not going the way that I, I had planned, it didn't work out. But um, that year where I took off, I think I had a great confidence coming in. Like I was, I was more mature. I understood what it was like to, you know, take time away from the game. I understood what, it, what the preparation was going to look like for me to actually come in and, and contribute. I knew exactly what my role was. I knew exactly what our, what our purpose was and goal was as a team. There was no wavering in that. Um, and then I gave myself, I think, a little bit of grace to just like go play and be free. Um, and again, similar situation before the Ivy League play started, a little discouraged but just found a way to have a little bit more confidence and, and, uh, and faith and, and ended up working out. But yeah, I think it, it was uh, an example of everything coming to fruition, you know, after starting off like real, real, real humble with like not being able to play at all like not, not knowing anything. And then get to a point where I'm, you know, um, you know, finishing around the rim with ease and, and, and everything kind of starting to fall in place. So yeah, just a, a, a full circle moment to say the least. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's truly amazing. And, and from, you think of a, a guy who you said was, you know, you were kind of overweight from your freshman year of high school and then almost what, eight years later or however, however yeah, probably eight years later, you're aver- getting 22 against Duke in the NCAA tournament. That's an unbelievable, you know, journey to that. Right. I'm sure all along you didn't, appre- you didn't, it's hard in, in the moment to understand the journey, but the journey is just as important as the destination, but that's an incredible destination, man. So congrats to you on that accomplishment uh, from the start to the end, man. That's unbelievable. But what I want to ask you is the next step, right? Uh, Italian to pro- professionally with uh, Rosetta your first year. What was that like from getting, having 22 in the NCAA tournament, all the way to your first game with Rosetta um, in the Italian Serie B league? Yeah, so essentially, you know, once I was done playing, I knew I wanted to play overseas. I had an opportunity to run for, like, state senate. Um, I said no because I was like, I, I dedicate myself to public service at this time. I was like, I want to mm-hmm. pursue this as I can while I'm still able-bodied and I, I still have an opportunity to do it. So um, I ended up signing with, like, one agent. And then I was up at 7 a.m. every day with my assistant coach, uh, Coach Anthony Goins. He's at BC now, but that's my guy. So shout out Coach Goins if you're listening to this. Um, we were up every day and like working on pro stuff. Like it was like no longer this game of, okay, I have to find something that fits into the scheme collegiately or like something that fits into our system. It's like, nah, we're working on going to get a bucket, different skills um post up stuff turnarounds fadeaways and like repping stuff out to like 25 make 25 of this shot move on and make 25 of this shot um or we're gonna you know today we're gonna just work on ball handling so you're a little bit more fluid on the court um and so i think that that allowed me to kind of have a different experience and approach to the game that i hadn't I hadn't had when i was in college um but i i love the again i love the grind so it was like you know this is this is what i need to do now to be the best and to get paid um to play the game so end up signing with that first agent, go to a showcase in Vegas. I do well in that showcase. I'm, you know, top five in that showcase, um, like made the first team or whatever, uh, thinking I'm going to have an opportunity from that. No opportunity. So now I'm like, all right, bet. Like, you know, they, my friends are getting signed. My teammates are getting signed. I'm like, is this for Should I be looking for another opportunity? End up doing a little stint with um, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. There was a guy who was doing like some public speaking. William Green, I was on tour with him, kind of helping him out, sharing a little bit of my story. 
um, still working out. My current agent now, Matt Slan, um, signed with him. He was like, you know what? Like, it's late in the game now. It's August or late July. But I can see what I can do. I'm still grinding through August. Now it's September. Now I'm like, I might just be doing this fellowship of Christian athletes thing for the rest of, you know, for my career for the time being. And then figuring out a job from there. Um, October, he hits me. He's like, hey, I got an opportunity in Italy. I think we got to move on this. So um, tells me about Rosetto, you know, where it is in Italy. Italy A2 is a great league. A lot of guys like, you know, they don't start there. They kind of like work their way through other leagues around Europe or in South America or even in like Eastern Europe, a little bit tougher places. Rosetto's right on the beach. Um, great food. It was a rookie contract, but all my meals were comped. I had a car, an apartment. You know, I was like, oh, wow, this is dope. And it was more than I was making with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, too. So I was like, all right, this is, this is really ideal. So um, end up getting there. First game I play, I only play three minutes. And I'm like, what is this about? Like, I'm an American. You have two Americans, and I don't understand why I'm not on the court. Um, so my coach is like, you know, you didn't really know the, you know, the plays. You just got here, blah, blah, blah. So I'm thinking it was a, you know, a game. And then from there, I just, again, figured it out. Like start, uh, second game, I had, a, had another, had a good game. We got a win, that was really important. And then from there, I just kind of just try to showcase my ability. Had a great rookie, Adam Smith, who is now like playing in Israel top division, one of my guys. Um, so it was good to kind of go through that experience with him for the first year. But uh, yeah, again, patience, hard work perseverance and, and just changing the mindset as to what it takes to be a professional as opposed to what it took for me to be, you know, a division one basketball player. Yeah. You, that's, that's an interesting background story. You talked about from the first year average, or you had, sorry, from the first game, you had three, three minutes. Cause the, you, like you said, you were able to figure it out. Uh, you finished the year averaging 13 a game close to a double double with nine rebounds. But what was what was that adjustment? I know you you br- you briefly touched on. Actually, it sounds like a great, nice, real nice setup. Actually, on the beach and and had a car and all that. But um, what was it like? Like I, I know it wasn't just all all pretty. I know there might have been a few different things. Maybe, maybe if it wasn't like struggles, just being overseas for the first time. I, I think um, and being in, in a new environment. What was the adjustment like? if anything you had to make when you're over there uh, for the first time in Italy and professional. Well, yeah, I think, right. Right. So again, like it's, it's, it's no longer just like, it's not for fun anymore. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's like, this is people's careers. So I think I had to really understand that when I first arrived, because I could no longer look at the game or something like it is still a game, but it's also like a business. And I, I've started to understand more and more of how the business of overseas basketball works, but when I first arrived, it was like, all right, like I have to perform well enough for them to think that I, I can belong here. You know, like they signed me to a rookie deal, not that much money. If I don't play that well, I'm probably going to get cut. Right. So and then also I'm competitive. So I'm like, I also want to look, you know, I want to I want to look good for myself. You know, it's not, you know, you know what I mean? And obviously I want to help my team win games. So there was that adjustment. Um, the language barrier was hard. I spoke a little bit of Spanish before I went to Italy, but then Italian is just not Spanish. So I was understanding to an extent like what people were saying, but I couldn't respond. And I like to talk. So um, I remember I was out at the time, like also talking to girls. I was talking to a girl on Google Translate what time in the club. And I was like, bro, this ain't it. 
you know, yeah. like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, like the language barrier, like things get lost in translation. Mm -hmm. You literally can't communicate with anyone. Um, people don't really speak English that much in, in Italy. So that was really difficult. And then um, still trying to find, a, I think, a work-life balance that was conducive for what I need. Because um, I do love basketball. And I love the game, but also know that I need other outlets and things that I can dedicate my time and energy to. And so early on, that was also kind of tough because they also thought, you know, I was just here to play. And mm -hmm. people overseas have an idea of what American athletes are like, um, whether that's the stereotypical, like they only eat McDonald's or fast food. Um, they have like one of my teammates once said, he asked me if I had a um, any baby mamas. And I was like, oh. I was like, what? And he was like, do you have a baby mama? I was, he was like, I thought that like the black guys always had you know, baby, baby mamas. And I was like, bro, that is just, so the, ig the ignorance and understanding how to respond to that. Um, yeah. So like racially also as a black, as an African-American man being in that space and then looking at the way that Italians treat um, African immigrants that have come to the country and like that difference between them loving me, an African-American man, but then disliking the African folks, like that was also kind of tough to, to adjust to. So like all of those things, um combined kind of created this uh this environment that i was like really trying to navigate and figure out to the best of my ability but um you know it's really really hard because i had no you know context i had no references from connecticut at least that i could talk to uh, to really understand like what it would be like being over there and how to like adjust fully and quickly because that's what you need to do yeah that's that's an interesting and 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 that's why I wanted to ask because a lot of the things you see you you never be exposed to that right like you're right. an American player or you're from North America um you you wouldn't be exposed to that so that's that's uh, interesting to hear that and and yeah. kind of the perceptions that people over there have too that's interesting uh, to hear that but um I want to ask about the the next season because it's crazy seen when I look statistically at your progression I know stats and we always say that stats don't always tell the whole story but production in, in terms of what you're doing on the floor does um does show as well in some in statistics in some some capacity um as well as I know if it's not just a, a, a European thing but they do show efficiency that's one of the measurement right. uh statistics yeah, yeah. they use out there and it rose, it's consistently rose throughout your career. But the next year, and I might butcher his name, but Giovovo Scafati, your next year you averaged. Giovovo Scafati. Scafati, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's Italian. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough, man. Yeah, it's tough. I know. Right, right. You got it down, though. But so you, but my point is saying you average a double double there, fifteen and ten, man. So best best year of your career, of, you know, what we could find um, in terms of your statistics. But what was that year? What what changed? What clicked? You're now it's now your second year, second year professionally, second year in Italy. What was that year like for you? Yeah, I think I knew one what it took to like really be successful, and then I was also very hungry. Like, I didn't think that the contract that I had for this second team was one that deserved based on how I improved and showed my play towards like the back half of my rookie year. And so going into this one, I, I remember my agent was like, um, my, the, I guess the Italian uh, affiliate that he had. Um, so I remember like my, my Italian agent was like, he had to fight with the president to sign me. And I was like, like, what? 
like you had to fight with the president to, to think that I was like, you know, good enough to play. And I was like, all right, bet I'm going to come in and, and try to kill it. So, um, again, I remember just like the preseason and, and having like really good preseason games and my agent getting calls saying they're thinking of cutting me. And I'm like, for like how, you know, so just again, the adversity piece, but like how you respond to adversity is, is really the true test of your character. And that really, that really shows who you are. So when I got to, um, Scafati and he started playing in the regular season, I would, again, just head down trying to work. And when, with the team that I had and the, and the trust that my coach kind of put in me gradually, um, I had a lot of opportunity to kind of showcase my game. So like getting to a double, double wasn't that difficult because of my motor, how in shape I was and my athleticism and the way that I prepared before the season started. So it got to a point where it was like, all right, cool. Like I have to play 30 minutes of this game. Like that's light, you know, like this uh, the other, the other opponent that's in front of me, he could probably play like a good, you know, 20 to 25. And then he's going to have to have a sub come in. But if I'm going to have the ball during all those periods of time and I'm playing sub, like it's, it's, it's over. Um, and also the game's over I'm about my efficiency rating i am like the actual stats that i had so i could have like a stat line of like 20 and 10 but my efficiency efficiency rating might be like 15 which is really that efficient if you're looking at how you would add up all so your rating is basically all the things that you've done and it's the bad things that you've done on the course so like missed shots or turnovers or mm-hmm. um your plus minus that kind of stuff so once i started to understand that portion of the game too I was more strategic, strategic, excuse me, and a little bit more cerebral in my decision-making. And I think that kind of all, um, you know, helped me be a better player on the court and be a better teammate. And we won more games as well. Man, I, I, absolutely. You know, and, and, and I, you know, as you were talking about, uh, you know, your, your coach thinking about, you know, thinking about cutting you or the president of the team thinking about cutting you and your agents got to really fight for you. And you use that as some, motivation and some fuel i do I, I do think back to you know earlier you were talking about um when you 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 know you had to struggle a little bit to get off in high, in high school as far as like uh playing and all that did you keep that in the back of your mind because i know a lot of people hold on to things like that so they can just consistently motivate them or when you got to pros or college did you already just let that go yeah yeah i had been i had been there before like i already knew what that looked like and i think um when you already have experience in like in those sorts of areas or with, with like the struggle or adversity, it makes it a lot easier to like fight through and then understanding what the end goal is too. Like it's like, it's again, kind of like I've come too far from all the things that I've seen over the course of my career to get to this point and just give up. So, and that's what motivates me and drives me now with the kind of things that I do in the off season to prepare. It's like, I know what I, what I want. I know no one else is doing what I'm doing on a consistent basis. So like, let's just go, let's just go get it. Man. Um, so in terms of day to day, like enlighten us on that in terms of your day to day overseas. And I guess even comparably to what it was like at Yale, because I, I'm interested to know um, the difference between the two. Cause I know those are completely different. You know, you had to manage uh, school and everything at Yale, one of the best institutions in the world. Um, but what was that like comparatively from university and then your days in, in Italy and, and professionally as well? University, the hardest thing is like getting enough sleep and being able to manage the academic and athletic portion of your day. So like, you couldn't take any classes after 4 p.m. 
And we also had to keep in mind that if you took a class that was in the morning, you were have to be like up every day. So in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm gonna take a class that's somewhere between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. because at least I can sleep in to like nine or 9.30 if I need to, or sneak in a lift if I have to schedule it before my class. That schedule, and then also just like the, I think the mental piece that's required when you're in college of just like having to be focused in class and like being engaged and also having to go to like section and like going to things when you're really tired, you don't really have time to listen to your body um, or focus on like your diet. Like you have other things that are just as important um, uh, aside from basketball. So then when you're going overseas, it's like you have a lot more time. Like all only things that you have to do really are practice um, and games. And so the schedule would probably be like on a, on a Tuesday, because we would play on Sunday, Monday would be off on a Tuesday, we'd have a lift in the morning, and then some shooting, then we would go home. And then later on in the evening, we would have a practice. On Wednesday, we would have like one or two, we have like one practice again in the evening. Thursday, we'd do the same thing in the afternoon, it'd be lift and practice. And then Friday, another uh, one practice and Saturday, be like just a quick shoot around. And then we play the game on Sunday. So like having only one game a week in Italy was also helpful because you really got into a routine early on, as opposed to like, we have a game on Thursday in this country. So we have to fly out and we have to also make sure we, you know, recover and like do all the other things. So you're obviously more responsible for yourself because it really is up to you to get yourself going and motivated. And you have to show up on time for practices and games. Um, But like not having an academic piece, I think was like pretty helpful and just have like a thing with having like really stamped schedule. You can just follow consistency as opposed to like, I have an exam this week or I have a test or, or I have a, a section where I have to go to in the evening or I have to meet up with this person for this meeting. And so, you know, we, you know, Brandon, we, we touched on your early times, you know, uh, starting basketball at 14. We touched on your time at Yale and the multiple accomplishments you have there. Touched on, you touched on your, your, your pro time. Um, but that's not all you do. You are more than just basketball. You much more like how you said that uh, uh, singing was your first passion, you know, being in the choir, uh, the drums. I think I think that's really cool. Um, uh, so so I, what I want to know about is off the court. I'm seeing on your Instagram that you got a music label. That is so dope, yeah, man. Like yeah. you on your Puff Daddy, Birdman, like really running it. <laughs> I think that's super cool. So talk to us about how does that's that even goal. come about? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, uh, he's he's the president of Spinach Records. And uh, we ended up linking up. This is like right after my second year playing. But he's another Connecticut guy. And Brad had some uh, some issues with his mental health. And we were kind of talking about, you know, our athletes and artists supported when they're working or like when they experience burnout, do they have resources or even like a, a business model that surrounds them for, from their label that says, hey, like we want to make sure that your mental health is prioritized and we can find ways to make sure you're living holistically. Um, and so when Brad posited that idea, I was like, you know what, I would love to help spearhead this movement. With Spinach Records, we've we've accumulated a number of artists and creatives who are going through mental health pilots on a consistent basis that kind of track their progress or regression over time and asking questions as simple as, as on a scale of one to five, how well have you slept in the last week or uh, um, one to five, how anxious are you right now? Um, how do you combat your anxiety? What do you feel when you, when you're, when you're anxious? Um, who are the people that you reach out to when you're having these, these feelings of doubt? Um, how can we be more supportive? for you as a as a label and then also um, you know how can we provide you with 
mental health professionals or at least a database of people that you can then reach out to and choose for yourself. Um, and what we found is that when you prioritize the artist's mental health, their, their productivity and the music that they actually put out is better. Um, and they feel more happy and more fulfilled in what they're doing. Um, and then as an athlete, you know, for me, I see a lot of people who experience burnout on a consistent basis or just, you know, feelings of self-doubt. These are some, some of the things that I've dealt with as well. Um, and so making sure you have a, a solid team around you is, is extremely important and I think paramount to your success. So that's kind of how that started. Um, we're in the stages of trying to raise some money and uh, I think also con- trying to convince labels that this is something that their artists absolutely need, um, aside from just like us doing it on an independent level. Um, so that's been really, really fun. Man, man, I, I, just like with the, with the acapella group earlier, Brandon, I'll say like that. We've had a lot of players on Pro Hoopers, G League, D1. None has a story like that. None are like so, so of, of, of doing so many things in their, in their extracurricular, man. So that's just, you know, hats off to you for it to even find the time, find the energy to be able to, um, to do all that, you know. And, and, and as, as, we start, as we start to wrap up here, Brandon, I do want to ask, um, what's, what's next? You know, we know you, we know you got a lot in your, in your bag. We know, we know you sing, we know you, we heard you talking about uh, state Senate, which is crazy, but what's next for Brandon and where are you going from here on forward? Yeah, there's a few things that I, I would love to do, man. I, I think one of the blessings of being exposed to so many different, I think ideas, people, experiences, traveling, um like i've i've picked up a lot of passions and so like i really enjoy fashion i've been working on like a little brand uh for my city of bridgeport called park city kid that kind of commemorates the different parks and and also areas of the city um so i'm excited to be working on that i have some creative direction that's going on with one of my mentees actually who's based out of new haven um i am trying to work on uh something right now i can't really say i can't really speak to the whole idea but essentially, it would be um, you know a way to provide resources to overseas athletes, so that when this question is asked to them, they can be like, "Hey, I actually have a plan down packed." Or when they say, "You know, I'm going to be retiring in like two to three years," or they're thinking about it, they can say, "Okay, like I know what job I'm transitioning into, and that's going to be a seamless transition as opposed to me having to go into like sales or I don't know into coaching or just doing basketball training, which seems to be like the traditional." trajectories for people who have who have had like these long careers um so i'm trying to work on something that can you know kind of bolster and assist athletes being more empowered in their their decision making uh for the future um super long term i would love to be mayor of my city of bridgeport connecticut i got a lot of love for my city i really feel like it has a lot of potential that's just untapped and my platform would be education making sure that the youth have uh schools and teachers that care about them and are actually dedicated to making sure that they're going to succeed in the future and under and helping them understand that there is life outside of Bridgeport. I'm from Bridgeport, Connecticut. I've been able to travel to 29 countries at this point in my life. And I think, um, you know, some kids think that their world is literally a city block. And if I can expose them to, you know, these different opportunities that are way further um, outside of, of the city and they, they can imagine, then I think that could be really helpful in them you know, making a decision that could change their life or choosing a college or a job, which is kind of getting here. You know, there's a lot more to life than, than our cities and there's a lot more to life than basketball. So I think that's my, um, 
you know, my desire is to empower youth, athletes, people in general to make decisions that um, they wouldn't have otherwise made. So that's kind of what's next. We'll see how that we'll see how that shapes out into like a job. But I think that's the goal. Yeah, that's extraordinary because I, I and I especially the the point, not only the mentoring and, and allowing the opportunity, people's like use world being bigger than a block because for a lot of people that's that's a lot of youth that's the reality right they never get the experience travel to 29 countries um i've also got the experience to travel not as not 29 countries (laughs) i think i've been to like more around like seven but still i know i'm blessed to have that opportunity regardless but i do love the fact that you um what you one of your initiatives going forward number one the mayor thing dope i don't know if i was part of uh bridgeport i live there i'd vote for you because I, I love the platform that you're running on and everything because those education all that you mentioned is extremely important um but the fact brandon that you mentioned um at giving athletes a tool an opportunity to know what they're going to do afterwards because that speaks to me because <laughs> even though i didn't play professionally i did play all the way through university basketball has always been a part of my life um, up until that point in 2020. And I remember a year, the year I was graduating, my senior year, people asked me like, oh, yo, what are you doing? Like I was right. some thinking about playing overseas. It would be a lower level. I was thinking about that, but I never really knew the answer to, to that question. And it didn't hit me till later on the season. It was kind of scary thinking about that reality. Like, Yo, I'm gonna right. have to do something after basketball. So I love that yeah. platform that you're you're trying to build, man. It really speaks volumes to me. But uh, but I gotta ask you your uh, another question in terms of um, if you we all that we like to ask, ask all our guests, and that is if you gotta give advice to a younger youth who wants to be like Brandon Sherrod, man. When they want they grow up or they want to be a professional Cooper, they want to run for mayor one day i don't know what's your (laughs) advice to them that you gotta that you would give yeah i think um one stay humble like i think humility is is uh is the key to like so much success and like in that in that like really understand what it takes to achieve your goal too if you're getting into something understand that that goal requires a great deal of effort and energy you know, for any good thing that you're working towards, it's going to require some sacrifice. It's going to require some blood, sweat, and tears. It's going to require some disappointment. And you can't be afraid of that. You really have to embrace that. And then during those periods of, of uh, you know, those, those periods of drought where you're, like, not getting to the point where you think you should be getting to, like, don't give up, you know? It would be, you know, I, I say this all the time, like, even if I had worked hard and all in basketball, let's just use that as, as an example. Even if I had worked really hard, and never got to the point that I got to today, it was still wouldn't be for nothing. It still serves a purpose. Um, so I guess my advice would be like, yeah, for, for, the, for the every generation, like stay humble, work hard, understand that it may not come, come overnight or at all, but the hard work serves a purpose and it will show in some way. And it may not be the way that you think uh, it, it should be, but um, it, it's still really important. So um, that's that's that, I think that's what I would say. And also keep your eyes and, and ears open for opportunities that you would have you wouldn't have uh, originally expected to take. So I think that's also been like a story of my life. It's just I've been able to like, kind of like realize all these opportunities that I would have never thought I'd have, like did not want did not think about going to Yale. 
was able to capture the opportunity. Did not think about joining the movement at all. When it came up, I was like, this is really cool. I should try this. Did not think I was going to be an overseas a- athlete, but again, worked hard towards that opportunity, even in the period of drought, was able to take hold of that. So just keep your horizons open um, and, and, and expose yourself to, to different areas and fields because that's the way that you kind of come to some level of purpose and understanding of like where, you, where you're at and where you're going. So that's what I'd say. Yeah. Man, that's that's fire, man. For 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 all, all the young hoopers out there, man. Even if you're not, even if you're just a young kid and out there out there listening, man, definitely, you know, take heed to Brandon's advice and 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 you know, keep uh, keep your eyes open, open and, and remain humble, man. But but Brandon, man, this is this has been a, a amazing, amazing conversation, man. We we really appreciate you, you know, uh, coming on and sharing your gems not only with us but you know with the world and helping helping these yeah kids out there to be able to you know find themselves and I, we, you got so much going on man from music to 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 to, to, to the state senate to everything man just we're just proud of you man but 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 i do want to ask you no know, uh is there is there any any last things that you know you want to you want to shout out you want to say uh before we uh wrap up the pod here oh yeah for sure first of all shout out bridgeport again i got i gotta say it again i love my city um shout out to my sisters chelsea Chela in china i love y'all my parents, Rick and Sandy, you got to shout them out. Um, and a shout out to my girlfriend, Naima. Got to shout her as well. Because I'd be remiss if I didn't shout her out. Um, that's my girl. So, um, And also, real quick, the PG Sports. I got the hat on right now. Much love. I know you guys have that on as well. He's another PG Sports athlete. And um, that's pretty much it, man. That's it. Just want to shout out the fam, my girl, PG Sports, and, and the city. It's all love. Yes, sir. Well, I mean, those are all beautiful things to shout out, man. And and Brandon, uh, from from the family, from Clutch Talk, and, and myself, uh, appreciate you your time coming on. And like John said, sharing gems and definitely you're the if there's any example, there's like a definary dex, uh, definition dictionary definition of more than an athlete. You are that man because you're not just a basketball player, and and folks need to understand and appreciate because I know I do so um thank you for your time man loved having you on yes sir man yes sir man brandon the same 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 thing man we just appreciate you uh being on man we love having you on and we're always welcome on on this, on this platform man so broader family out there man if you guys want to stay up to date with brandon and everything that he's got going on i'm going to drop his instagram all of his social medias in the description down below and right there in his little bubble man so make sure you go show brandon some love um and 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 make sure you listen to my guy's music man because you got music music label man and and if you in bridgeport you better vote for brandon or else we on you that's it that's it that's it man well well well, if that's it then we out of here y'all clutch talk out peace